This is a special episode of Effing Shakespeare, recorded in collaboration with the 2021 AWP Conference and Book Fair. We're thankful to be the official podcast for AWP for a second year and have invited a gallery of guests that you don't want to miss out on. As always, please subscribe, rate, and review so we can continue to bring you interviews of amazing writers sharing about their amazing work. Enjoy. I'm Jessica Cole. I'm Fulu. I'm Kate Martin-Williams. And this is Effing Shakespeare. By writers. For writers. Vanessa Garcia is a Miami-based novelist, playwright, journalist, and visual artist. Much of her work centers on her Cuban homeland where her parents and grandparents were born. She is the author of incredible essays you can find all over the web and an immersive theater production called The Amparo Experience. And I can't wait to talk to her because it seems like she's the dreamer and 3D printer of so many incredible projects. Vanessa Garcia, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. We're glad to have you. It's one of my favorite things to get to dive into cross-section of someone's work um, so deeply and then find that I'm in love with all of it. So (laughs) it's been a really nice couple of weeks getting to know your work. So um, I'm thankful you're here. I loved your novel, White Light, which was a NPR best book pick in 2015. And I'm interested to talk to you about it because we just had a show with Farid Matouk, mm-hmm. who was talking about cross-pollination across art forms and you being a visual artist and having your hand in so many different projects. I'm really excited to talk to you about it. But with specifically with regard to White Light, your protagonist is a visual artist and she is, you know, the, the chapters are headed by and have little subheadings at the beginning of the chapter that are names of oil paints and then you describe their sort of features and and that color on the spectrum and their associations. So I I think I just wanted to talk to you specifically about how your work as a visual artist informs the novel, particularly the form of the novel. Yeah. I mean, definitely with 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 that piece, with with White Light as a novel, the central character is an artist. And I for a long time considered myself you know, side by side, a professional artist and writer, they were happening side by side. And, um, and so I feel like eventually the writing sort of absorbed the visual art in a way, because I was writing so much and so often, and then I needed to get the visual work and the visual impulse and the visual everything that happens into the writing. And it it not only happens in the actual writing, right? Like in the frames of the scenes or the characters, but also in saying, okay, well, what would it mean if a character is is a color, right? If mm-hmm. if a, if a chapter is cardinal red, or what does that mean? You know. There are obviously at that point, not that many publishers that will take you up on saying, okay, I'm going to do a full novel in color. But thankfully, there are some independent presses. And in my in my case, there was Shade Mountain Press, which was so sort of graceful in the sense of what does it mean for this actual character to really be this character? And what does that mean on the page, not just in writing, but also visually? 
you know, because that's not something that's new. I mean, if we think about William Blake or like what, you know, actual books really are, that's not really something mm-hmm. that's new at all, you know? So that was actually super exciting for me to to have that click with with a publisher that would take me on in that sense you know what I mean but yeah, but yeah. yeah that conversation definitely was awesome <laughs> did you get some no's beforehand where people oh yeah like, we can't handle this and a lot of no's like the writing is amazing can it be in black and white and <laughs> and I thought <laughs> I <That> thought is- <laughs> right like for a lot of things yes right For a lot of things, yes, you can have a lot of frames, a lot of characters, a lot of arcs, a lot of everything, a lot of things that I write, you know, I'm writing right now. Yeah, I can frame on the page in black and white, but that character still to this day, I can't frame her in black and white. You know what I mean? And so, yeah, I got a lot of no's. And for some reason, you know, you're like, at that point, I was like, you know, in my 20s and then later and I was like, you know, no, I'm going to go for this thing. And I was very determined vision. Oh, my God. And for good or bad, for good or bad, <laughs> <laughs> for good or bad. But but thank God for Rosalie Morales Kurds, who who runs Shade Mountain Press. And she took me on. She actually called me and she was like, who do I have to fight to publish this? And I was like, nobody. <laughs> I mean, I mean, everyone. <laughs> You're the winner. He won. Yeah. Uh, Do you mind reading something for us, Vanessa? I don't know if it's from White Light or something new or so whatever you want. I have something not from not from White Light, but it's actually funnily enough in black and white. You okay. know, so it kind of like it speaks to it. But I'm working on a radio play right now which is, you know, why I have a microphone right now. Otherwise, I'd just be like speaking into my computer. But you look very professional. Oh, my God. It's really so pro because of this radio play. (laughs) It's awesome. (laughs) It's called Ich bin ein Berliner, which means I am a Berliner. And we might know that because of, you know, John F. Kennedy said it because when, you know, when there was an East and a West Berlin, right? But this play is about the fall of the Berlin Wall and how it deeply affected me when I was 11 years old and just started crying hysterically in my classroom and not understanding why that was. I just didn't get it. And I was the only one. I was the only child in my, you know, fifth grade classroom bawling my eyes out and I had to go to the bathroom and like just and I have spent a lot of time trying to figure out why that is. So this play is an exploration of like, what does it mean to unpack that moment in my life? And it comes down to me being Cuban-American and the fact that I am in my roots from a kind of Eastern Bloc country that people don't think about, which is which is Cuba. But um, in this little moment, I'm, ju- I'm just going to describe this commercial that came out in 1984 about Levi's jeans that played in the Soviet, like it was, it was played for like Soviet kids, right? So it was 1984 and it's Levi's. It's kind of this awesome commercial and it is in black and white. It was filmed in black and white, right? So I I just, in essence, in this part, describe it. So I'm going to do that. Okay. Okay. Let me set the scene. It's filmed in black and white. There's a kid, a young guy, maybe 20 years old, who's coming into the Russian Soviet airport. His bag is being checked by this Stasi-looking dude, and the kid's face is like he's shitting bricks. 
The Stasi officer opens his suitcase, moves his shirts aside, and finds a James Dean book. Uh Uh-oh. Illegal. That's straight-up capitalism right there. Uh, He passes the book to another officer, Verboten. Things are not looking good for the kid. The kid's getting worried. His eyes are darting back and forth, but he's trying to keep it together. It's obvious he's hiding something big, bigger than James Dean. A bomb? A national secret? What is it? The higher up passes by, and the officer checking the kid's bag salutes the higher up and lets the kid go, and the kid, scared, closes his bag. No words are exchanged, just glances. He's walking home now, across the tracks into these horrible Soviet block housing projects. I mean horrible. The whole thing is smoky and dark and bleak, gray AF. There are spies everywhere. You can feel it. The kid finally makes it to his shithole apartment and he breathes a sigh of relief. Thank God. It's okay. He's okay. And then the slightest crack of a smile coming through and he goes to the kitchen table and he dumps the whole suitcase onto it. And there's that saxophone music coming in (laughs) and among the mess dumped onto the table a paper brown parcel wrapped in rope he opens it motherfucking jeans there they are he flips them around and levi's 501 blues with rivets yes descent (laughs) oh my gosh that's so good that's so good where tell me about so tell me more about this radio play because I saw that it was coming and I want to know more about it and where where the idea came from and how you found your way so I've been thinking about this I mean literally my entire life like since I was 11 years old and I'm just like I I haven't I didn't know how to write about this for a very long time but about a couple of years ago I wrote to a director named Matt Stabile at FAU theater who I work with Uh, a lot. It's a theater lab in Florida. And he was like, this idea is amazing. I have no idea where like or when it's going to fit in. But this I love this idea. So then, you know, pandemic hits and everything is kind of a disaster for theater and FAU Theater Lab, which is all about presenting new plays and new works and interactive work, all kinds of amazing things says, you know, we don't want to just do Zoom plays like everybody's doing. Let's do something that the artists can keep for after, you know, and see what we can do together. Let's make radio plays. And so they commissioned, right? It's the way to go. And they commissioned radio plays. I was one of those people. And I was like, hey, Matt, can we do the Berlin thing? And he was like, oh, my God, I was so hoping you would say that. <laughs> and, and then we got to play, you know, so he said, go write the thing. I did it. We had a workshop last year. Just it go played. write it. It's no big deal. Go do the thing. Uh, which, but how great is that, you know, to have that space during a pandemic to do that? Oh, gosh, yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. So creative. Like such yeah. creative thinking. Totally. And then they had an audience of maybe 
uh, I think it was at 65 to 95. Now I'm, I'm a terrible person for not remembering that gap of number, which is pretty big, but it was either 65 or 95 people in this, in this zoom room. And it was received really, really well. And the good thing was that it wasn't just people that knew about Cuba or Germany. It was just like all people, <laughs> you know, that were receiving this thing. So they decided to make it the thing that they were going to produce for 2021. And oh, so cool. it's, their, it's their main stage, you know, yeah, but it's yeah. radio. And so we have been in the process of making that happen. And it's been amazing, you know, and it's really been a process that even has involved my mom because I've had to get her like to come into this room where I'm talking to you right now to interview her to get her voice and like get her into this this you know like this play which is I'm in it you know and I'm not usually in my plays like I acted a long time ago but I'm not in my plays usually and <laughs> yeah. you are as an 11 year old I am I am <laughs> in this play so <laughs> And so is my mom. So it's been a really wonderful journey. And it's it's actually particularly significant to me because Cuba, the place that I'm actually really connected to that makes me connect to Berlin and that moment of the Berlin Wall is going through a big change right now. And, you know, they we I would say are having this this big moment of, you know, there might be the first time ever that a Castro is not in power in, in April you know, there's a promise that Raul Castro will step down. And if that happens, there's a window of time in which freedom can kind of sort of find its way. But it's it's a very interesting window that is exactly the window that happened right before, you know, 1989. So, right. Yeah. We, so we're an indie press as well. And so a lot of times we have contact with artists who do a number of things like you do, which is so much fun. And a great part of getting to be in the community that we're in here in Houston. And so we have a, a good friend who we actually published who wrote operas and uh, we published her book of poetry and she is ghostwriting a biography for um, a dancer here in Houston, just all kinds of things. But I think it would be interesting to ask you about for people like her. And I know there are people at the conference as well who want to know how you just get your foot in the door for these types of things that you seem to have have found your way to such cool collaborations and productions. And is there ways that you go about thinking about your next steps or, you know, kind of lateral career moves to other art forms? Yeah. I mean, I think when I started out, it was just an idea of I'm not going to do anything that does not benefit my craft or does not do the thing that I want to do. And so I never even, I mean, I always went the route of I rather freelance and, you know, make whatever I'm going to make than have the nine to five that then bars me from saying I'm going to do this or that or join all these branches, right? Now, it's sort of like one thing leads to the other if you're kind of very open to the thing. And I mean, the I have a company with a with a partner named Victoria Collado, and the company is called Abre Camino Collective, which means opening paths, right? And the whole idea is radical storytelling. So how do you take 
a piece of work and do exactly what we're talking about and sort of cross pollinate it into a million things. Right. So we do have, you know, this, the Amparo experience, which is the last big piece that I worked on that went out into the world, which was an immersive theatrical production, which had, you know, like 23 different ways of seeing it. You could go as many times as you wanted and you would always see something different, but it was also very narrative. So like once you have that world built, you can do anything. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like once you actually have the world building of the thing, you can say, okay, well, this is also because you have character. You have character, you have story, and you have each character's story arc, right? So, Mm -hmm. okay, let's make a Bible for a TV show. Let's, you know, do this or that. Like with with this, with Ich bin ein Berliner, I'm like, you know, there's there's this amazing thing that's happening right now where it just happened sort of organically where because they want to create a visual component, they've hired a cartoonist to sort of like do this visual component because they don't want to interrupt with a lot of things, but you can buy either the audio or a visual component and have this, you know, like semi on. And then you're like, wait, but we can make a graphic novel if we want and we can, (laughs) you know, we can do all these things. So I feel like once you realize for me, the biggest thing is you make this thing, own the property and then get people who are awesome to co-own with you. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that you can yeah. you can make all of these branches because there's no stopping the story once you have the characters and the arcs, you know? That was one of the things that struck me when I was reading your work and your, especially the Ampora experience and thinking about how just dabbling into what you do it explodes this notion of the solitary artist. Like you are in such community. You know, they were. I watched an interview that you did with, I guess it's Victoria Callado who directed Amporo. Is that yes. right? Yes. And she was saying that you found these connections with the actors that they had had to Cuba. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's all this inspiration that comes out of those collaborations. Absolutely. Like, I feel like for part of my life as a writer... I was like, oh, I'm by myself doing this thing and I have to sit at my computer and write this thing. But then what ended up happening to me specifically is that my sister's an actress. All the people around me were in New York theater at the time. And so I was like, oh, wait, there's another way to actually make things, which involves people. (laughs) This is amazing. And then we that. That's amazing. But we also like it's such a delusion that we don't do that anyway, because don't we have super connective relationships with our editors and our agents and our everyone? Absolutely. Like, you know, it's a, it's a delusion that we work by ourselves. It's completely not True. a thing that we do. What I think we do if it stays in a drawer, but if it's going to go into the world, there's conversations with so many people, audience, editors, publishers, you know, collaborators, in my case, actors who, yes, like you said, like they have such amazing stories to add, you know, to this, to this narrative about what it means to be Cuban and what the bigger story was. So, you know, it's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I loved the piece that you did for HuffPost, that love letter to my 22 year old self, 
which just, it was so cool because she, she wrote it and then it was actually performed for a comedy show or I'm not for a comedy show to benefit a, a, a comedy troupe. Is that right? I forget. Yeah. So that was a whole, I wrote it and then someone read it and asked me if they could perform it for some reason, that particular little thing, sometimes you write things and it takes you forever. And sometimes you're just like, I'm going to Yes. write this thing very quick and and then it's a thing that speaks to a lot of people so that for some reason that letter did actually end up speaking to a lot of people and that there was an actress that called me and said you know not knowing that I was you know really in I don't even know if if they knew I was in theater or not but can I do this and I was like of course that's amazing you know <laughs> so so she performed it in the end which is kind of cool because it ended up being a monologue <laughs> Yeah, right. That's, I didn't know. It's so interesting to me that it, you wrote it without even knowing because when I read it, I was thinking, oh, she knew this was going to be performed because it has that kind of rhythm, you know, it has a real monologue kind of feel. Yeah. That's just, because you're talking that's to yourself, you know. right? Because you're yeah. giving yeah. your whole self advice, which I feel it's like the whole part. effing Shakespearean soliloquy. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God. It's so inspiring hearing you. And yeah, Kate and I have to divvy up the work sometimes, but I am so excited to to dive into all of your work as well. And so excited for your play. I mean, the, the, the radio play, just the, I can't wait to tell my mom that because she of course grew up with, with radio plays. And it's just such a cool throwback to, to the forties and fifties and also of our time, because mm -hmm. here we are and we don't always want to look on screen. And I think we're, we're thinking about the visual so much, but there's really a real like aural, however to say that word, um, component to, to these times and, and a radio play really speaks to that in an exciting way. I love it. I also am obsessed with the Berlin Wall and yeah, November oh 8th, 1989, seared, seared into my mind. Right? <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's real. It's a big thing. Yeah. 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 So obviously you were working on the radio play, but is there anything else that was going on and that helped you get through 2020 because you're, you've got such connections to community, but we've been so isolated. We like to kind of add tools to people's survival kits. So is there some, someone or something or yeah. a writer or something that was kind of carrying you along through this last year? I mean, if I'm going to be totally honest, I, at the beginning of 2020, which is not the correct response. I was like, oh, I get time to finish all the projects that I, <laughs> I, was, I was supposed to, oh my God, I get to just close my door. Nobody's going to bother me. What a horrible response. Horrible. No, it's real. It's fair. Insensitive, it's fair. ridiculous, but all the things. But, you know, actually, I did a lot of development of every, I just wrote this note to myself and said, finish everything you've started. Finish everything mm. you've started, finish everything you've started, finish everything. And everywhere I would see it because I was like everywhere I would write it. And I also have two kids, one of which which came during pandemic time. So Vanessa, I think okay, they are especially superwoman. <laughs> they are they are definitely part of the thing the, the the actual like pulse life that brings me you know, every morning and every afternoon and every night. So I can't not say that they're not included in that, you know, and, yeah. and also the idea. So one of them is, uh, you know, nine months now wow. and the other one's three years old. 
three years old boy and the, the girl is nine months. And but the 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 thought I've been writing a lot for kids also and freelancing in, in the realm of kids TV. And also, like I just did a workshop with Sesame Street about race. They're amazing. Oh, I didn't even get to ask you about that. Yeah. But my kids like and looking at them and being with them and the kind of storytelling that is involved on that level and what what storytelling means as a mom and as a human being to that age group is actually very massive. So I've also been thinking about that, you know, mm -hmm. and thinking about like, what does it mean? Even this this Berlin play, what does it mean to have an 18 year old and a 19 year old come to that? And what does that mean to bring that into education curriculums? And what is storytelling in that sense? And so that's kind of been in my brain also in terms of like, you know, how we matter, you know? Yeah. Mm. At the same time, you're trying to decide whether you're going to teach your son to say please and thank you to the Alexa. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> she wrote a great essay about that too. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much for sharing all your time and your talent with us. I can't wait to hear the radio play and also see what's next for you. Thank you so much. It's so nice to meet you. You all are amazing. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. Bye. This has been a live recording of the Effing Shakespeare podcast by Bloomsday Literary at the 2021 AWP Conference and Book Fair. Effing Shakespeare is a production of Bloomsday Literary in association with Houston Creative Space. Hosted by Kate Martin-Williams and Jessica Cole and produced by me, Hulu. Our trusty and hardworking intern is Sanviti Sena. Please subscribe, rate, and review wherever podcasts are found.